Our scripture reading this afternoon is in connection with what we learn concerning divine election, God's sovereign choice for our salvation. In connection with that, we will read from Ephesians chapter 1, the first 14 verses. Here the Apostle Paul calls the Ephesians to praise God, praise God for the way that he has marked them out for salvation in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So far, scripture reading. As mentioned already, the sermon this afternoon is on the teaching of the word of God concerning divine election. And we find a summary of this doctrine in the Belgic Confession, Article 16 on page 505 in the back of the Book of Praise. We'll read that article together. Divine election. We believe that when the entire offspring of Adam plunged into perdition and ruined by the transgression of the first man, God manifested himself to be as he is, merciful and just. Merciful in rescuing and saving from this perdition those whom in his eternal and unchangeable counsel he has elected in Jesus Christ our Lord by his pure goodness without any consideration of their works. Just in leaving the others in the fall and perdition into which they have plunged themselves. 
after the proclamation of the gospel of our salvation, we will sing in response hymn 23, stanzas 1, 5, and 6. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, it might have struck some of us this afternoon that the Belgic Confession article on election is really short. It's, it's only about this long, and yet if we're familiar with the idea of election, well then we know that it's loaded. There are books, there are volumes of books that are dedicated to the topic. And as Calvinists, people who call themselves Calvinist Christians, we have a special place for election. It's one of the five points of Calvinism. You remember the acronym TULIP. It's something we, we learn even as children, as catechism students. TULIP, total depravity, unconditional election, that's the one we're talking about today, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. It's a, it's a, a, a pretty important idea for us Reformed Christians. One of our confessions, the Canons of Dort, devotes an entire article, or sorry, an, an entire chapter to the topic. And yet here, in the Belgic Confession, the teaching on election is very brief. Why is that? Well, the summary of the doctrine that we have here, that we're focusing on today, it contains everything that we ought to know about election for our comfort, for our assurance, and so that we can praise God, we can give Him glory for what He has revealed to us in His Word about this subject. It's not meant to answer every single question that may arise in our minds about this. No, far from it. Many things we're going to continue to wrestle with and will grow, will we'll progress in our understanding in these things. But this brief article that we have in front of us, it shows how God displays his astonishing goodness to people who had turned their backs on him. We learn that even though all seemed lost or should have seemed lost after the fall into sin, Guess what? God had already determined that salvation was won. That your rescue was already secure. It was guaranteed to people who didn't deserve it in the least. What an awesome God we worship. When we understand how God had set all of this in place, even before anything existed at all, even before creating anything, we're led to such a peace, a peace that we can enjoy even while we live in a world that is broken and restless and troubled. Even when this world tries to destroy us, when we have to go through sicknesses, disease, excruciating loss, temptations, whatever threatens to uproot us from the Father, from our Father, we know this, God's decision for us is from eternity. 
Nobody can mess with it. Nobody can snatch you from your father. What he has determined for you is rock solid. The gospel comes to us this afternoon under this theme. God assures us of salvation with the doctrine of election. We'll see three aspects of this. First, he chose us from eternity. Second, he chose us in justice and mercy. And third, he chose us graciously in Jesus Christ. First, he chose us from eternity. Where do you start with this? Where do you begin when you talk about election? Well, what's, what's our basic understanding of God's decree? We confess that we are elect. When someone asks you what it means that you believe that you are elect, well, what do you say? You can say, well, I believe that before the foundations of the world, so before God created anything, before anything at all existed, God had already appointed me to eternal life. That's what we read in Ephesians 1, verse 4 and 5, isn't it? For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us, predestined for adoption. There's a wonderful assurance that comes from knowing this fact that God had determined all of this from eternity. Now, why is that important? Why is that important for us to know? Well, consider this, and this, this may be true for some of us who are sitting here today. Suppose that you were brought up in, in a non-religious family, and so you, along with your parents, lived apart from God, at odds with God, wanting nothing to do with God, maybe until you were in your teen years. At that point, you began to learn a little bit about Christianity. You became curious, and then you became more and more convinced that Christianity was true, and therefore you ought to become a Christian. And so you started coming to church more and more regularly. You heard the preaching, you heard the gospel of salvation. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And you believed. And now you know that your sins are forgiven. Now you have a loving relationship with God Almighty and you look forward to everlasting life with Him. This is beautiful. It's beautiful. But when you analyze, when you think about how you got here, it's hard to see how election could fit into all of that. You see all the things that happened in your life, the things that made you end up at this point. First, there was a time in your life when you didn't know God, you were a stranger to him, and then it seems that there was a lot that depended on you. You had to be curious about religion. You had to decide to come to church. You had to begin to believe that all of this was true. When you only look at the human elements of this, 
you can see how you moved from one kind of existence to another. First you were not saved, and then you believed, and now you are saved. Does it strike you that there's something a little bit unstable about this? You might think, you know, I'm really sure about my, my salvation right now, but what about 10 years from now? Can I fall away from this security just as easily as I have gained it? Every one of us is vulnerable to some measure of these doubts. So the question is, what do you anchor your assurance on? What is dependable? What is unmoving? What are we able to know for sure, without a doubt? Well, we can know for sure that our status of chosen by God, saved, does not fluctuate. We can believe this. We must believe this because God has told us so that when you were counted among God's chosen people, that decision stands firm. It's absolutely unchanging. From our end, we can see the development of our faith in this life. We can see the development, the progress in our relationship with God. There's progress and change with this, progress on our part, but God's decision is from eternity. You were always going to end up here. You were predestined for this. And God gives us a very special level of assurance in this. Right? We can know that the God who, who makes these decisions, the God who makes these unchangeable decrees, He is our Father. He has made an agreement with us, a relationship with us. It's called His covenant. And this covenant relationship, in this covenant relationship, He makes promises to us. Paul reminds us of this in Ephesians 1. God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. For the sake of Christ, this God is our loving and faithful Father. Think about this because this is almost too big for for us to be able to believe. At this very moment in time, we see the outworking of the decree that God made in eternity before anything existed at all. God determined to save sinners, chose them by name. And the way that he executes, the way that he works out these decisions that he made is through his covenant of grace. He enters into a fatherly relationship with us. And when you were baptized, the Lord God Almighty was promising you, I am making you my child. I have made you my child. I am going to be your father. And I am gathering you with the rest of my children. You are welcomed into his family. And he teaches us, he teaches us his ways that, that are profound. He takes care that the gospel is preached to his children and he works faith in our hearts and then, and then he reveals a bombshell. 
by the way, I had this planned for you before the universe existed. A friend said to me once that he went camping all by himself, totally alone, in a giant redwood forest in the, the Pacific Northwest. Now these trees are hundreds of feet tall, and they're hundreds of years old. And he said, you know, I have never felt smaller or more insignificant, more unimportant in my entire life. He said it was really humbling. Here are gigantic trees that were here for hundreds of years before, before I ever existed, and they're going to be here for hundreds more after I'm dead and gone. And I could kind of do whatever I wanted here in this forest, and that wouldn't really make a difference to any of these trees. Nothing I do is of significance to them. My entire existence is just a blip in their span of life. These are trees. And if we think about that, well, it seems like, yeah, that's the case, but that's not actually true. When the oldest tree on earth was just a seed, so this is thousands of years ago, when the oldest tree on earth was just a seed, your father held you in his mind. You mattered. When God promised Abraham that, that his descendants would be like the sand of the seashore or like the stars of the sky, he was thinking about you. He was thinking about you when he said those very words to Abraham. Those aren't anonymous grains of sand. Every single grain of sand had a name. I have chosen this one. I have chosen that one. God made these promises, you know, 4,000 years ago. And now, here we are. Look around you. What do you see? These are people. These are people. The people that you're sitting next to are people that God has brought into his family because of the choice he made in eternity. Right now, before our very eyes, we witness it in front of our very eyes. We see the effects, the direct effects of God's decision from eternity. So, I'll ask you this question. How secure is your status? How secure? Our security depends on the dependability of God himself. And God has proved his dependability in his word. We talked about this a lot this morning, right? Every promise that God has ever uttered, he has fulfilled or is in the process of fulfilling right now. And if you have been baptized, you have received some pretty awesome promises from this God. Read the first couple of pages in the form for baptism. Be reminded 
of what God has promised you and sealed to you. Were you baptized? You can be sure of these promises. They were sealed on your forehead. But doubts can creep in. We're weak. We're sinful. Maybe maybe we can't see the fruits of our relationship with God as clearly as we would hope to or as clearly as we would expect to in our lives. Maybe we're clinging to a sinful pattern and we're, we're not ready to let that go. Maybe we don't see the spiritual progress that everybody keeps telling us that, that we should be making in our lives. So maybe we start doubting whether we are one of the chosen ones. Well, your God assures you not to be alarmed. Don't consider yourself gone. Don't count yourself as one of the ones whom God has passed by. Instead, continue to hear the preaching of the word of God. Keep listening. Open your ears and listen to the promises that God has made to you. And your father knows you. He even anticipates our doubt. He knows that, that we're going to doubt. He knows that we're made of dust. And that's why he gave us, that's why he gave us sacraments. That's why he gave us the Lord's Supper and baptism to strengthen what is sinfully lacking in us. He gives us the Lord's Supper and baptism to assure us of our place in his family. He declares it to us in his word. And you have to keep receiving these things from God and pray, ask him for the grace, for his grace to abound in your life. God has promised it to you. And you can pray about it expectantly. And we're commanded to pray. We learn in Lord's Day 45 that God gives his grace and his Holy Spirit to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts, who thank him for them. We have to keep coming to God and asking him to, to reinforce what we know in our hearts. As sure as God knew you before the foundations of the earth, before those redwoods started to sprout, so sure does he know the struggles that you have now and he will give you whatever you need to get through them. He's your father. Let's consider our second point, that God chose us in justice and mercy. Most of us, at some point in our lives, will have a discussion about election with somebody who, who disagrees strongly with the idea. And God's justice is quite often called into question. Someone will say, do you really believe that before God created anything, so nothing exists at this point, there's zero, nothing, 
at that time that God determined already who was saved and who was not. Before anybody had any chance at all to do one thing or the other, God divided them up. Does that seem fair to you? And maybe we struggle a little bit ourselves with that question. Does that seem fair to you? Well, first of all, in the very first place, let's pause and be careful. Are we really questioning whether it was okay for God to do something that he has told us that he has done? Our God is perfect, and his ways are higher than our ways. So let's start there. God says to Job, can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They're higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths below. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. Right? We have to be humble. God is infinitely beyond our comprehension. So, having said that, when people take this approach, that at the beginning, God had a bunch of neutral people, theoretically neutral, nobody had done good or bad, they're all neutral in his eyes, and he just started assigning randomly heaven to some, hell to others, Yes, if that's how we think about it, it seems a little bit arbitrary, it seems senseless, and it can seem unfair. But we know, we know God. We know that he has perfectly wise purposes for all his choices, doesn't he? We know he does. Well, what we have to realize is that God's decree, it's not random, It's not arbitrary. It's a merciful and a loving choice. And in order to understand this, we have to consider the context of Article 16. How did we we arrive here at election? Well, if we go through the Belgic Confession in order, you can see that God created everything perfectly good, including people, but then people sinned against God and we became totally corrupt, rebellious against God, our creator, we became enemies, and what did we deserve because of that sinfulness, because of that rejection of God? Well, every last human being earned an eternal death sentence. That's God's justice. And that's how our article begins. When we plunged ourselves willingly, voluntarily, headlong into perdition, That's the perdition, that's the state of of being lost, totally ruined. When we willingly, voluntarily threw ourselves there, away from God, he shows his justice and his mercy. Yes, he left some in that ruin. And he's perfectly just in doing so, but... Look at his grace and mercy. There's a multitude of people that God determined to save, to rescue us from what we brought on ourselves. And we can only get a sense of this, we can only understand this if 
We're realistic about our sin. What is our status without the saving decree of God? Let's not forget this. In Lord's Day 4, we're asked, is God not merciful? Yes, God is merciful, but he's also just. And what does it mean that God is just? His justice requires that even, even the slightest sin, if there is such a thing, sin committed against the most high majesty of God, it must be punished with the most severe. That's everlasting punishment, eternal punishment. That's just one sin. So number one, we have to remember how holy God is. We have to remember how offensive our sin is to him. And then consider this. Consider this. God would have been perfectly just if he had allowed Adam and Eve to fall away along with every single one of their descendants and leave them there to be lost forever. It would have been consistent with God's perfect justice and his perfect, pure holiness. None of us would be able to argue with that. That's justice. And consider this. It also would have been perfectly just if God had decided to save just one person, just one out of the entire human race, all people who have ever been born from the very beginning of the world all the way to the end, God would have been perfectly just in letting everybody fall away and for him to just say, I save one person. We can't argue with that. That would be just. But God didn't just save one person. God didn't just save five people. As our article says, God manifested himself. God showed himself exceedingly to be merciful with this awesome display. It would have been merciful for God to save one or five, but God chose to save a vast, vast number. Sand on the seashore, stars in the sky, merciful and gracious. God announced this very thing about himself when he passed in front of Moses. Do you remember this? When he passed in front of Moses in Exodus 34. So this is when Moses is on the mountain with God and he asks God, please show me your glory. And God says to Moses, you know, you don't really know what you're asking for. Nobody can look at my glory and survive it's deadly. So he says to Moses, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll pass by, but I'll cover you with my hand. And when I go past, then you can see the glory of my back. And we have to think about the context of this. This is right after the people of Israel had sinned with the golden calf. God had graciously rescued his people from Egypt. And one of the first things that they do is build an idol and start worshiping it. But listen to how God announces his presence. Israel has sinned 
And this is what God says as he passes by. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is right after the golden calf. But then he continues. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. But how did he begin that? Compassionate. Gracious. God forgives the sins of a multitude of people. How great is his mercy. But he, he leaves absolutely no sin left unpunished either. He's perfectly just. There is an accounting for every single sin that has ever been committed in the history of this world. His justice is perfect. And he's worthy of eternal praise for the way that he exercises his judgments. But it's not as though, let's, we have to be clear about this, it's not as though he exercises justice in condemning and he shows mercy and love when he saves. No, we have to remember that even his justice is not compromised when he is busy saving. His justice is still upheld. The wisdom of God has made a way for the love of God to deliver us from the wrath of God without compromising the justice of God. That's kind of a tricky phrase. I'll say it again. The wisdom of God has made a way for the love of God to deliver us from the wrath of God without compromising the justice of God. I believe that's a line from John Piper. And that way, that way that he made is in his son, Jesus Christ. And that's our third point. He chose us graciously in Jesus Christ. I wonder how many of us noticed or took note of how many times in Ephesians 1 that the role of our Lord Jesus Christ is mentioned. If you still have your Bibles open, take a look. We, brothers and sisters in Christ, were chosen from the, before the foundations of the world. We were chosen in Christ. Our status in Christ is shown to us in verses 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. It either says in Christ or in Him. Jesus Christ is the only ground for our salvation. When our Father, 
our eternal Father, determined to save us even before creation, even before the fall into sin, we were elected in Christ. The Son of God was appointed to be our salvation even before the world existed. It's not as though we fell into sin and then God had to scramble and and come up with a way to save us. No, it was always in Christ. Salvation in Christ is not plan B. And this is so mind-boggling and amazing that it it should crush us with humility. There's this perfect counsel where the Son is willing to pay the penalty for all the sins that God's elected people would commit. He's willing to pay for our sins. God named us in eternity. Remember that. God named us in eternity, and it's as though he says to his son, my son, look at all these sinners. All of these sinners, they're completely worthless. They can do nothing right. They deserve eternal hell. But let's rescue them. Let's forgive them. My son, you will suffer the agony of hell for every single one of their sins. And you are going to be utterly forsaken by me, your father. These people, all of their sins are going to be placed on you so that they can appear before me blameless. Yes, this is what we're going to do. And God the Son, the one who's going to bear all of this, he says, yes, yes, I am willing. I'm willing to do that for these people. Can you believe that Jesus Christ, knowing the sins that you would commit in your lifetime, said, yes, I'm willing. And when this eternal counsel was determined... Was there anything that God saw in you, in your future, that made him say, oh yeah, that's a good one. Let's choose him. That's a keeper. He deserves to be included. Of course not. It's completely out of God's grace. It's completely his eternal good pleasure. Apart from Jesus Christ, without Jesus Christ, We are identical to every other sinner, every sinner who dies in rebellion. But God was determined to make you part of his family. He made you into a loved one. Suddenly, you are of great value to God. Now, it's important to pause here and be specific about this. Apart from Jesus Christ, you were or you would be identical to every other sinner. But you are not. You belong to Christ. Apart from him, you would be totally depraved. But he has redeemed you. And when he redeems you, he also renews you to be more and more in his image. This means that the result of your election can be seen in your life. 
You are no longer identical to the rest of the world. You're no longer identical to lost people. We don't hear the word of God that assures us that we are elect and then kick our feet up and go, well, yeah, I'm in a good spot, aren't I? Time to relax. No. Second Peter 1 verse 10, we are instructed urgently to be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. This doesn't mean that we have to bring it about. No, only God can do that. But it means that we confirm, we strive to confirm that election in our hearts, confirm it with a life that matches who we are in Christ. If you are elect, then you don't automatically become perfect. No, we heard God's law this morning. We've broken every single one of those commands because so often we love ourselves more than anything else. We don't love God with our whole heart and soul and mind. We don't love our neighbor as ourselves. But Christ has given us his spirit so that more and more, progressively, more and more, through our lives, we see good progress in this. So ask yourself, do you see progress in your life? If you looked back over, let's say, the past two years, can you say, this is how I have progressed. This is how I'm more and more in the image of Christ, more than I was two years ago. We can be assured, we can be assured that we have eternal life but that in no way means that we can stop repenting from our sins. Repent and believe that our sins are forgiven, but also believe that God calls you and empowers you to live a holy life. That's the gift of his spirit, pure grace. We can't doubt that this kind of progress is possible. God promises that you are made holy in Christ. You are called to this urgently. But along with that call is the assurance that God himself will bring this to completion in you. He will continue his work. Why? Because you're valuable to him. Apart from Christ, you wouldn't be valuable. But Christ paid a huge price, and now you are. You're so valuable that God gave his son to die for you. God demonstrates his love in that, for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How valuable are you to your, to your father? You're worth the blood of his son his beloved son. Do we still have doubts? God didn't spare his son, whom he loves, for your sake. If he didn't spare his son, but he gave him up for you, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And that includes assurance of salvation. Your Father can clear all your doubts for you.
ask him. If while we were his enemies, when we were at odds with God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? We hear this every time we have the Lord's Supper. What a comfort. What confidence we can have in this. We are children of God through grace alone, for Christ's sake. God made his covenant with each one of us and the only reason that this is possible is because the costly sacrifice was made for you and me. How amazingly God provided our salvation for us. And how amazing that this was determined perfectly and fully even before the world ever existed. What love the Father displays in doing this. We are stubborn and sinful, but God deals with us with such long patience. But how steadfast are his purposes. Congregation of God, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, rest in comfort and peace in the trustworthiness of our Heavenly Father. Amen.